So today we are continuing our series in Philippians, and we are going to be going through Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. And the title of today's sermon is True Perfection, True Perfection. Uh, And so if you have not gotten the outline, uh, you can look on the the link that Joseph has dropped in a few times or text 97,000, the word outline, and you will get it. You can read along the scripture with me. I'm going to read the scripture now, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 16. It says this, Paul says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So if you remember, this section really uh, picks up off of last week, so I want to kind of read the last couple of verses from last week so we can hear and remember what Paul is talking about. If you remember last week, we talked about true righteousness and what that really looks like from a perspective of taking on Christ. And so we left off last week in verses 10 and 11, where Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul then begins to talk about what that means to attain the resurrection from the dead. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I went to, I used to do these things in the summer where I would go away to different states, different cities, uh, and it was a six week training. Uh, and one of the ladies that was preaching in one of the six week uh, trainings, I think I was 11 or 12, I'll never forget this. I was in Houston and uh, she was. She was preaching about uh, what happens after she got saved and kind of her maturity in Christ. And she told us that she hadn't sinned in six years and that she wasn't uh, planning on sinning until she died. Uh, I remember thinking like, wow, this lady hasn't sinned in six years. That's insane. And she was encouraging us to live our Christian walk uh, and no longer sin. Uh, And that left a mark on me as a young man because... I thought, this is this is what I need to do. I need to never sin again, essentially, uh, or I'm going to go to hell. And, you know, that this theology has actually been pretty prevalent, this understanding of perfection, that we are called to be perfect here on earth. And you see it come out in different theologies. You also see it come out in different practices. And we're going to talk about this, but uh, I've actually heard, this wasn't the, the last time that I heard someone preach this, uh, that that they have become sinless uh, here on earth. And it's actually a, a pretty prevalent false doctrine that I've seen a lot in different Pentecostal circles and that I've seen a lot in legalistic circles uh, because there's this very strict adhering to the law. And as long as you adhere to it, like Paul said, I was guiltless under the law. Then I was sinless. I was perfect. But Paul starts off this section with a really, really important statement. I want to read that again. In verse 12, he says this, 
not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Listen, if Paul was not perfect, the guy who is bodily visited by Jesus Christ after his resurrection and also wrote a huge portion of the New Testament, then guess what? I am not going to be perfect. You are not going to be perfect. Look to your Zoom neighbor. Let them know they're not going to be perfect. Nobody is going to be perfect outside of Jesus if Paul cannot get it right. If Paul is not perfect, then how much more should I expect myself to be perfect? Guess what? I'm not. And so I want this to kind of, first off, to be liberating to us, what Paul's talking about, this, this air of perfection that I think a lot of, uh, of Christians take on. A lot of Christians kind of uh, feel a need or a sense of, I need to be perfect. I can never mess up. Uh, this actually uh, was a theology that took root in the early church, and they used to believe that after you got baptized— you were never allowed to sin again. And if you did, then you were going to go to hell or you needed to be rebaptized. And one of the emperors of the Roman Empire uh, actually got baptized, I believe it was within, he thought he, he knew he was about to die. And so he, he called the priest in and they baptized him and he died either the next day or a few hours later because he wanted to go into heaven pure while never sinning again. And the way he was able to do this was uh, by being baptized right before he died. Uh, and so I love this picture of, of <laughs> Tiffany Ong that we all got a preview of right there. That was great. Um, and so this, this is not only a, a false doctrine that we struggle with now, but this is a false doctrine that has come over and over again into the church. And the first thing that I want to liberate us with is you are not called to be perfect. You are not called to be perfect. We will not obtain perfection while here on earth. I want you to remember that. I want that to settle into your heart right now, that you will not be perfect. Jesus does not expect perfection from you. Paul was not perfect, and I am not perfect. We all fall short of the glory of God. Allow that to sink in. Allow that to marinate in your heart. See, the false idea of perfection many times is how the enemy comes into our heart and how the enemy has kept us in bondage. And he's done this through several different ways. One, uh, perfection will tell us this. I cannot talk about my sin anymore because I am not supposed to be sinning. I am not supposed to have any sin. And so if I'm not supposed to have any sin, then I don't want to tell anybody about my sin because I'm supposed to be perfect. And that's and, and that will make me less than. That will make me not a Christian. That will make me not saved. And so this air of perfection that constantly the enemy has tried to use to shove into the church over and over and over again over the last 2,000 years, one thing that it will do is it will keep you silent. It will keep you from exposing the darkness in your heart to your brothers and sisters that the Lord tells us constantly to do, that scripture tells us constantly we're supposed to do, to confess our sins, pray for one another, that we may be healed. And perfectionism, this idea of being perfect, will keep you from doing that. The second way that perfectionism will hinder your walk with God is it will say, I, I will never be where God wants me to be because God wants me to be perfect. And since God wants me to be perfect and I've tried over and over again, well, then I'm just going to give up. That thought was basically my entire teenage life, uh, was this understanding of 
God wants me to be perfect. And so I would have a spiritual high, let's say a, a retreat or a great Friday night youth service, or you know, somebody would pray for me and I would feel the presence of God. And I think I'm never going to sin again. Uh, and then reality would strike, you know, somebody would get me mad, something would happen within, sometimes within an hour, sometimes within a couple of days, there would be some detrimental sin that I would do and I would throw it all up in the air and be like, forget about this. I- I'm not even going to try anymore because it was emotionally draining on me. Th- this understanding that I'm supposed to be perfect and I can't do it and I'm going to, and I would say, I'm going to do it now, I'm going to do it now, and I keep on failing. And this idea of I will never actually be perfect kept on hindering me from ever actually doing what God wanted me to do. And so it's this false idea that God wants us to be perfect and that traps us emotionally in thinking, well, since I'm never going to be that, I might as well never try. Another way I see the enemy using this is uh, I I see many people start to think about Christianity as more about rule following uh, than they do about repentance, grace, and forgiveness. You know, when you think about the good news of Jesus and you think about all the different things that he did, uh, he he constantly lambasted the people that followed the rules the best. And that was the Pharisees. If you read about the the life of Jesus, he constantly comes against the Pharisees. In my devotionals uh, this morning, one of the things that Jesus says is, you follow all of these rules, and these aren't even commandments that are in Scripture. These are man-made doctrines, and you haven't even followed the commandments of God. And one of the things that perfectionism will do is it will make your walk with God all about following the rules. I need to become the perfect rule follower where the gospel is constantly about repentance. It is about grace and it is about forgiveness. And so I should be thinking more about repentance, grace, and forgiveness than I am thinking about being the perfect rule follower. And when we get trapped in this legalistic mindset in our walk with God, when we get trapped in this rule following, then we hinder our walk with God because it becomes not about relationship with Jesus, not about being with Jesus, living and leaning into the love that God has for us, but it becomes about following this perfectionism route of, man, if I don't do this right, God will no longer love me. And that's what we begin to think when we follow through with that route. But the idea of being, so the idea of being perfect will actually have the opposite effect in our walk with God. And it will cause you to walk away from God's call, will cause you to walk away from what God has for you. But what's interesting that Paul says is just because we will not be perfect does not mean that we should not strive for perfection. Just because we will not be perfect does not mean that we should not strive for perfection. Verse 12 here says this. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own, right? I am not perfect, but the second part of that is, but I press on to make it my own, this resurrection of the dead, this perfection. I press on because Christ Jesus has made me his own. There is a a big but here. I have not obtained the resurrection from the dead. I have not obtained perfection, but I press on to make it my own. But I am going to strive after this thing, but I want this really bad. If you think, well, since I will never be perfect, c'est la vie, might as well sin. 
right? I, I, I can't tell you how many times I thought about this growing up, right? I'm, I'm never going to be perfect, so forget about it. I'm going to live my life how I want. I'm going to keep on doing the sin. I'm never going to be free of it. I'm never going to try again. I'm never going to go to another retreat. I don't want anybody to pray for me anymore. I'm tired of these emotional roller coasters. C'est la vie. I am going to live my life the way I want to live it. But that is not what Paul is getting at. Just because we are not going to ever be perfect on the earth, that doesn't mean that we don't strive to obtain what God has for us, this resurrection from the dead, right? Because of this, why strive for this? Paul says this, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Even though we cannot be perfect on earth, with our earthly bodies, we press on. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Always remember this, that the good news of God is not, I loved Jesus, so he accepted me. It is this, it is Jesus loved me, so now I love him. It is not, I love Jesus, I was good, I, I went after him, so he accepted me. That is not the good news of the gospel. We are not the initiators. What happens is Jesus has first loved us, and so because of that, we can love him. So because Christ Jesus has made me his own, because Christ Jesus has grabbed me, has caused me to be in him because of that, now I can make him my own. I can strive after this. I can run after and try to obtain this resurrection from the dead because of what Jesus has done that gives me this desire, it gives me this passion, it gives me this fervency to be more like him, to run after him, to chase him, knowing that even while I was still a sinner, even when I did, didn't want any part of him, even when I was, I, I was so done with him, so done with everything that he was saying, yet he still pursued me and he made me his own, knowing that in my sinfulness, in my craziness, in my, in my muddiness, that he reached down and came and made me his own. Because of that, that is the good news. That even while I wanted nothing to do with him, he made me his own, I strive to be like him. Christ has already made us his own. I want to obtain the resurrection and perfection in Christ because Jesus has already grabbed me. He has already loved me. He has already showered me with grace and forgiveness. And what more will I want than to be like him? When I think about it this way, it's not about can I live up to the expectation of perfection it's about I've, me feeling so deeply loved and moved by what God has done for me that I can think of nothing else but to please him. And I strive and I long for that, to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. But how do we get there? How do, we, how do we strive for this the correct way so that at the end that we can achieve and reach this goal of, of the resurrection that Paul says that he has not had yet but is working in him and he is longing for and one day we'll see. How do we get there? If, if, if Paul and we are not perfect but we are pressing towards that perfection, 
How does he say that we will actually get there? How do we reach this prize of the resurrection? Well, he prescribes for us what we must do in verse 13. He says this, Brothers or brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, listen to this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I want to read that again. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. What Paul says here is you must, you must have a forgetful past and a hopeful future. You must have a forgetful past and a hopeful future. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Ask yourself this, if God has forgotten and forgiven your sins, why is it that you continue to keep a record of them? So often we can't move forward in God to strain towards what he has for us because we look at our imperfection. We look at our past sinfulness. We look at our life and we think, man, I'm never going to do this. But Paul says, forgetting what lies behind. Ask yourself, Ask yourself that question. If God has forgotten your sins, your transgressions, why have you continued to keep a record of them? I believe God wants to liberate some of us from our past because we have tried to bring our past into our future in an unhealthy way where we have looked at our past and you know maybe we have said God has forgiven me of this. But we have not been able to forgive ourselves of it. We have not been able to forgive ourselves of some of the choices, some of the things that we have done, some of the things that have happened. We have not been able to forgive others. We have looked at our past and we've said, this will define my future, the things that I've done, the things I've messed up in. And if that is the case, then I might as well give up now. Because if my past, my filthy rags, Define who I am, define my future, then guess what? I, I, am, I am just an insecure, perverted, procrastinating mess that will never, ever be good enough. And many of us hold on to the titles that we have given ourselves over the years of our life. The things that we have done wrong, the things that people have called us, and we carry them with them. And God is trying to say to you, you are my child. You are a citizen of heaven. You are a temple of God. But instead of grabbing on to the mindset of Christ, what happens is we have kept on to the past and we've held on to the different titles, different sins that we have been called by, that we have been defined by in our past. And God is allowing us saying, I have forgotten these things. I have forgiven you of those things. My Grace covers that. My love for you covers that. Has cast it away. Has disregarded it. Has taken. Has pruned it. Has burned it. So that it is no longer part of you. Let go. Let go. Let go of those things that you have held as weights in your life. That have hindered you from running the race towards Christ. Towards the prize 
towards what he has promised for us. The good news of Jesus allows us to remember, yes, you are way more sinful than you ever imagined, but you are also much more loved than you ever knew imaginable. Yeah, you know what? My past is bad. I've done things that I'm not proud of. I've done things I've never told anybody before. You know, I remember one interview I had, I'll never forget this. Um, I was interviewing for a church. I must have been, me and Heather were only engaged at this point. Um, it was a church in another state. I was thinking about doing an internship for a year or two um, just to learn about ministry. And in the interview process, I was Skyping. Uh, that's how old this interview was. We were still using Skype back then. Uh, I was Skyping with the lady who was interviewing me. And then abruptly, the lady's like, okay, that's done with my portion. I'm going to leave. Somebody else is going to do the next portion. And so she leaves and a guy comes and sits down. And I'm like, okay, what's, what is about to happen here? Um, and I don't know if like they didn't have an HR department, but this seems highly weird of, of questioning. So this dude just starts questioning me about my uh, entire sexual history, about my uh, all, all of my past, my heart, all of these different things. And then he gets to this question. And, and what a question. He, he prefaces the question like this. He says, this is a yes or no answer. I do not want an explanation. I do not want you to give any other words, but either a yes or a no. Do you understand? Yes, I understand. Okay. Is there anything that you've done that you've never told anybody before about? I remember thinking that. It's like, uh, hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think like, man, have I told somebody about that? Yeah, I've told somebody about that. And that this was like the longest 30 seconds of my life as I was looking back at my life and wondering, is there anything that I haven't told anybody about? And I remember I, I looked uh, at him and I realized I had to be honest and I said, yes. And I wanted to say, yes, blah, 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 I gotta let me explain all this. I gotta, blah, blah. And he just, uh, as soon as I said yes, he said, thank you. All done. He got up, the other lady came back and that was the end. And I just felt like my heart was wrenched on this table uh, in front of this guy. But I was, I never saw him again, never met him, never talked to him again. I wound up not taking the internship and staying in New York. Um, and, but it, it, this, this idea of, man, yeah, I, I have done some awful stuff. I've done things I'm not proud of. I've done things I, I've never wanted to tell anybody about in my life. But those things are no longer weights under the forgiveness of God. And as I've realized that I am forgiven about those things, guess what I can do? I can tell people about them. I can share what has happened as I've been sharing with you. If you've been in this church long enough, you probably may have times of thought, man, that is oversharing at some point. Uh, I, I'll never forget my sermon from last Mother's Day. If you were in the church, I'm not going to rehash it, but it was a sermon I will never forget. Um, and it was probably one of the most crazy ideas I've ever had. If you, if you are curious after this, you can go on YouTube and look for the date when I preached last Mother's Day. Uh, but I, there are... I can share about these things now. Why? Because they are forgiven. 
They have been forgiven. They're, they're no longer weights. They no longer hinder me from running the race. I used to think I need to be perfect. I need to, I need to be up here. I, I need to, everybody needs to see me at this level, but nobody needs to see me at this level. The only thing people need to know about me is that Jesus has forgiven me. And I can share all the depth of my heart, the darkness of it, the hurt and the pain and the sin. Why? Because those things don't hold me back anymore. Those things do not keep me from running the race. If God does not keep a record of those sins, why would I care? If any other human does, why would I keep a record of it? Guess what? The enemy will try to keep you to have that record book so that it will hinder you from running and pressing on towards the prize that Christ has for you. If God is not keeping a record of your sinfulness and loves you beyond what you have done, stop holding it as a weight that keeps you from pressing on towards the upward calling that he has for you. But the thing about this is, as we've said last week, we can't just stop forgetting about your sin. We have to remember that Paul also doesn't just give up all the bad things that he's done, but he says even the best things that he has done is meaningless. He has forgotten about the best things of his resume. He has forgotten about his proudest moments. He has forgotten about the things that have brought him the most joy, forgotten about the things that he would love to hold up and hang up on the wall. All of those things, the good and the bad. Forget your greatest accomplishments, your proudest moments, the things that you take most joy and pride in. Why? Because he says those things will cause false righteousness, false pride, and instead lay it all at the feet of Jesus. All the worst that you have done, all the best that you have done, and tell him what he has so often demanded of in the gospels, that I care for nothing in my life now but you. Everything else, as Paul said, is worthless at the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. But Paul says, not only do you need to have a forgetful past, but you need to have a hopeful future. Right? He says, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If you do not have a hope of what lies ahead of you, you will not chase after it. See, we only chase something that we are hopeful for, that we have hope in. What are you running after? I think is a good question here then. What are you straining towards? What are you pressing for? This is what you are putting your future hope in. The things that you are straining to obtain, the things that you're striving to grab onto, the things that you are longing for, the things that you're pressing forward towards. I remember how often right? Persistence I would have, or I, when I wanted something, man, I would drive my parents crazy to get it, right? I, I've seen how annoying it is because I've seen my younger siblings do it to my parents. And I would think, man, I used to do that to them too. And it's just like the relentless, can I please have it? Can I please have it? And now, of course, my kids are doing it to me, 
Um, sorry, Heather, it's probably my fault that it's in the gene pool. Uh, but they, the, just the relentless drive of, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Why? Why, why, why did I used to do that? Why do my kids do it? Because they have a hope that they will have fun, that this will bring them joy, that they, re- that they, there, there's this tunnel vision of there is nothing else right now that I want, nothing else that will satisfy me, nothing else that will make me happy, nothing that will cure my boredom except for this. And so I will just keep on asking. I will keep on pressing. I don't care how many times you discipline me. I don't care how many times you say no. I don't care if you say I can't say it this way. I'll think of another way to say it. How many moms can say amen to this right now? Right? What is it? That is a hope in something that will satisfy, that we long for, that will make us joyful, a hope for our future. And kids know that if they persist, if they press on, the likelihood is that they will get it. So what are you running after? What are you pursuing? What are you chasing after? The thing that you are are clinging on to more than anything, the, the hope that you are pressing after, the thing that no matter what gets in your way, you look towards that prize. You look towards that goal and you say, I will get there. I don't care what happens. I don't care what comes, what stumbling block, what wall, whatever it is, I am going to press on. I am going to attain it. I am going to run the race. I am going to make sure I get there. What is that? What is that thing that you so desire? Because that is what you put your hope in, in the future. Is it that promotion? Is it the degree? Is it that paycheck? What is it? Is it that relationship? Is that partner? What is it? What is the thing that you think will satisfy you? Because I will tell you this, the only thing that will truly satisfy your hope for the future, the only hope, as it says in Romans 5, we just read that verse during worship, the only hope that will not disappoint is Jesus Christ. And how we have that hope is through that that suffering that produces perseverance, that produces character, that produces hope, that does not disappoint. And that is hope in Christ. Because in Christ, your future is secure. In him, Paul saw the prize. In him, Paul saw the resurrection. All the culmination of all the things that scripture has promised. In Christ, Paul saw these things. And so he ran to obtain it. He persevered after it. He longed for it. He pressed on toward it. No matter what came in his way. The only way to obtain the resurrection from the dead or perfection in Jesus, Paul says, the culmination of all the things that God promises throughout all of scripture is to put your future hope in Christ. When you do that, you will run towards him. If you found yourself not running towards him and looking at other things, it's because your hope has been misplaced in something else. You will press on no matter what comes your way. Your your only hope is being with him in the end. You will get through no matter what that is. The culmination of all our perseverance is a hope that does not disappoint because it is found in Jesus. Things will come and distract you in the way and they will say, hope in me. Put your future hope in me. Say, look at me. And they will try to distract you and and, and try to get you off the path to go on these little rabbit trails on the way. But keep your eyes on Jesus. And when it 
stays on his beauty, when it stays on his majesty, you will have no choice but to run after him. You have no choice but to strain forward towards him. Then Paul ends this section here with this incredible irony that I love. He says this, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. See, the reason why this is ironic is because the word mature here that Paul uses can also be translated perfect. So Paul is saying this. He says, let those who are perfect think this way, that you are not perfect, that you cannot obtain perfection. And if you disagree, he says, I believe God will open up your eyes to this way of thinking. Right? If let all who are mature, let all those who are perfect think this way that you cannot obtain perfection, but you are caught by Jesus. And because of that, you strive towards him every day. We are not perfect on this earth, but as long as our eyes stay on Christ and what will happen, then we will obtain the prize of the resurrection of the dead and perfection when we go to be with Jesus. And so he pleads, don't go backwards. Don't lose sight of the prize. Don't lose sight of what you strain towards and what you run after and what you strain forward towards and what you are supposed to obtain. Don't go backwards. And I plead with us the same way today, that during this pandemic, I know that many of us have felt like reverting back to our old ways. And I believe the reason is, is because we've lost sight of our hope in Jesus. We've begun to put our hope in the government for containment or science for a vaccine or hospitals for healing. And we have seen these things disappoint as we watch the news. And so when they disappoint, what happens is when that disappointment comes and we start to lose our hope and we start to lose our will to go forward and we say, well, what is it all for? There's, there's no point anymore. And we stop, stop striving after Jesus. What it does is it reveals the cracks in our foundation that showed that our hope wasn't actually fully in Jesus, but our hope was in these things. And so when we stop striving, when we start working to abstain, when we stop running, is because we've lost sight of our hope being in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Do not lose focus on Christ. No matter how hard it gets, no matter what the temptation is, no matter what you have done, good or bad, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Run after him. Strain towards him. Count everything else a loss for his sake, because nothing else will be that hope that does not disappoint in your future. Only then, Paul lets us know, that will we obtain the prize that has been set before us. Only then will all the promises, all the things that God has said will happen, all the things that things that we, the inheritance that we have been grafted into, only then will we obtain all of that. This place of no sorrow, of no sickness, of no pain, of resurrected bodies, of the new heavens and the new earth, the only way that we will get that prize is if we continue to focus on Christ, 
not losing sight, not looking to the left or to the right and straining forward, running towards it with all that we have because anytime we put our hope in anything else, it will leave us disappointed in the end. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would show us what true perfection is and what that looks like. To understand our failures and still never lose sight of you. Lord, to have a forgetful past but a hopeful future in you that will cause us to strive, to run, to obtain all that you have for us. That we would not be lax in our walk with you. That we would not live this life of whatever happens, happens, but Lord, that we would keep our eyes trained and focused on you. Knowing that you have grabbed us, that you have loved us, that you have grafted us into your family, Lord, and that that would be the spark that we need to run, to strive, to, Lord, to run that marathon toward you to obtain what you have for us. The prize of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, perfection in you and in you alone. Thank you that on this earth we will never be perfect and you are okay with that and you understand that and you forgive us of that. But Lord, thank you for giving us a reason to run every morning when we wake up. Thank you for giving us a reason, Lord, to be passionate every day, God, when we go to work, when we get home, when we're with our families, when we're reading your scripture, when we're alone with you. Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us something, God, that we can run towards our hope in you that will never disappoint. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.